Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello, all of you good humans out there, and welcome to guest episode number 50. Are you kidding? We made it. I When I started this podcast, I was well aware that most podcasts quit between episode seven and 10, they say. I think something like 90% of podcasts quit in those first 10 episodes, but we've made it a guest episode 50. I'm so grateful for the audience out there who listens to so many episodes. It really warms my heart to know these conversations are having an input on your life because I know they're really helping me out. So thank you, thank you, thank you if you've listened to any episodes before this one. If you're new here for your first time today, a warm welcome. It's so good to have you here. Today's guest is a very special one and a man that I'm so, so excited for you to get to know his story just a little bit better. If you're new, please go and hit the follow and subscribe button after you listen today. Go back and check out the rest of the catalog. There's been absolute incredible range of humans from world champion wakeboarders surfers insurance athletes olympic divers olympic snowboarders we've had a whole range of incredible people and it is just warming up so make sure you go back and check out some previous episodes if you're coming back thank you so much send us a message tell us what your favorite first episode or first 50 episode was i don't know how to say that tell us what your first favorite first tell us what your favorite episode in the first 50 was far out i can't speak it's been a big week for me but let's talk about today's episode benny tudhope oh my god what a legend this guy is an ambassador for the good human factory he reached out to me a few months back and just said he loved what i'm doing how can he get involved and i clicked on his profile had a look through his story and it blew my mind. I did see him pop up a few times on the news after he won bronze medal in the Paralympics over in China earlier this year. But then when he reached out to me and I got to know his story, we caught up for a Zoom chat and spoke on the phone for like, oh, I should have clicked record to be honest. It would have been the podcast in the first go, but he just told me his story and I basically asked three or four questions and he so eloquently described his journey And I was like, bro, we have to do a podcast. So a few months later, we'd linked up a few more times, got to know his story a bit better. And yeah, we finally caught up for a chat. It was so special learning his story, learning a bit more about disabilities. I think it's so important that every single person right now listening to this, listen closely to how he talks about the disabilities and maybe have a bit of a reflection on how you treat people with disabilities. Because I know there's always room to grow. And there's always room to be better. And this conversation hopefully opens your mind to learn a little more about cerebral palsy and yeah, how you should treat anybody with a disability. So listen closely to that part. We also go into some really cool chats about Ben's sport, what he's achieved and what he's overcome because he does have a really gnarly story in the middle there. So a bit of a trigger warning. There is some talking about somebody passing away that was quite heavy, but Hopefully you guys love this episode. Please share it with your friends. I know 
this episode has an opportunity to really educate people in a topic that they might be a bit scared away from. This is a fun, cool chat with awesome, hopefully what you guys see is awesome young people trying to make a change and Ben is really making a change. So share it around, tell your friends about it. Five stars. Let's go. Benny Tudhope, welcome to the podcast. How you uh, going, brother? Yeah, good. Thank you, Cooper. Thank you for having me. Man, it's it's an absolute honor to have you oh. on the podcast. We have just recently connected and joined you on as an ambassador for the Good Human Factory. And yeah, when I spoke to you, I was fascinated by your story and I was like, I have to have you on the podcast because I know you're going to inspire so many people. But I mean, first of all, congratulations, Paralympian of the Year. How good was that to win recently? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, thank you again. Um, it's an honor to actually be on the podcast. I, I've been following the Good Human Factory for a while and you do such a... You, you have such a good course, and so I wanted to be in it for for as long as I can remember to to help spread spread your word. Um, but yeah, all these accolades and all these I guess awards I win um, is amazing. I I don't take it for granted, and yeah, it just yeah sensational to be able to win these awards. Yeah, it's so cool, and yeah, your story is going to inspire so many. I guess to kick off, yeah. the first question I ask is, what are you grateful for? I think right now I'm grateful for this kind of colder weather, actually. Um, uh, the snow's about to fall. I see like a boat just got some snow. So, yeah, that's what I'm grateful for right now. I love that. <laughs> How exciting. Let's um, kick it off maybe for the listener. Tell them who Ben Tudhope is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm Ben Tudhope. I'm a Paralympic snowboarder three times. So I started... Um, at my first games when I was 14 years old, um, back in 2014 at the Russian Sochi Games. Um, but I'm also a lot more than a snowboarder, I guess. I'm a uni student. I'm a, um, I'm a son, I'm a friend, um, and just a, I think, all-around good person. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I bloody love it. The conversation we had weeks ago really inspired me and it's had me really excited for this conversation yeah. because I know so many people are going to get a lot out of your story. But mm. do you want to maybe start by explaining to the listener what your disability is, how you qualify or well, how you yeah qualify as a yeah. Paralympian because then that'll explain maybe, yeah, a little bit about yourself and your disability. Yeah, definitely. So I was born with cerebral palsy and um, what that kind of entails, I guess, is um, I, I basically had a stroke in my mom's room and so... I present as a stroke victim, but the difference is, is that my, I guess, um, with, with stroke victim, they, they have it later in life. And I was born with my disability. And so it's different learning the fundamentals in life because I don't know any different. And so my, I got left side hemorrhagia. So the left side of my body, I guess the muscles are weaker. And it's control and coordination issues, I guess. And it, the the best way to see it is probably on my left hand, where the fine motor skills aren't quite there. And so, yeah, just as a kid, um, learning the skills and fundamentals, I d like it wasn't taken for granted. And I guess back in the day when I was um, a small child. Mum and Dad only got the diagnosis when I was around one years old. I guess it was a mother's instinct that she she didn't she knew something wasn't quite right when I was a baby, and she went looking. And 
um, saw some physios and other other doctors and stuff, and they were like, when I was a baby, oh, nah, he, he'll be okay. He's just growing or developing a bit later. Mm. But um, then it went on, and, yeah, mum just knew there was something something a little different. So they actually went to the head um, neurosurgeon in Sydney, and um, he, he gave me the diagnosis of cerebral palsy, and I was around 12 months old, which is actually kind of late, later than most people. Um, but in that time, um, it was actually really good for my parents to get that diagnosis because they could start getting the treatment for me early. And so um, as soon as I got the diagnosis, I went to the sub for the lunch, um, which, um, yeah, it, they were absolutely amazing, amazing to me. And... Um, what was so great about them, they actually, when when my mom came in, she was all stressed, she was all running around, doing stuff, and the first thing that one of the people, or one of the employees said, do you want a coffee? Like, don't worry about the baby, don't worry about anything, it's just like, relax, it's going to be okay. And so, mm. I guess, going into that, into that environment, which was such a new world mm. of for my parents. Um, it wasn't, they had two, I got two older sisters, they had two daughters um, brought into the world before me, and so they knew nothing around disability. Mm. And so this really kind of relaxed them and knew that I was going to be in good hands as mm. well. And so, yeah, it, I guess through the cell before the alliance, I... Um, I learned all the fundamentals, all the skills um, to be, I, I guess, a normal, normal, normal kid. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating that the way that you describe that, and I feel like so many parents with a child born with a disability are so in the dark. Yeah. And do you want to explain a bit about cerebral palsy? Is there different levels and stuff? Because it's something that I need to educate myself more, and I'm sure the listener will be very like great yeah. appreciative of hearing your kind of definition of it because I've learned so much from Dylan Alcott, who yeah. I'm sure you're aware of and friends of the Australian of the year and yeah. his podcast listenable has been the biggest eye opener for me when it comes to how to treat people with a that disability. Podcast is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I'm sure you got to get on there as a guest. Yeah, yeah. Dylan's a good mate of mine, and oh, I love what he I get does. It. I'm trying well. to get him on Good Humans <laughs> now as well. So we'll, we'll you'll get it on here. Yeah, and yeah, I'll yeah. Get him on mine. <laughs> we'll manifest that yeah, from perfect. this point. But, but yeah, I think the idea of educating and not sort of turning a blind eye and turning you back to people with disabilities. And kind for me, listening to that podcast has opened my whole world on how to treat people, how yeah. to communicate with people with yeah. disabilities, and that's normal. Yeah. So, what's the breakdown, maybe of cerebral palsy, and is there different levels of it? Fully, there's so many levels. Cerebral palsy is kind of an umbrella term of, I guess, a brain muscle um, movement where the central nervous system doesn't know what to tell the muscles in, in your body. And um, I'm actually, so I, I guess I'm lucky because I have a mild version of cerebral palsy. But when I was born, my mum and dad were told I may, I may never be able to walk or talk. Mm. And for some kids, that become a reality. So I guess you can have severe where people are in wheelchairs, people... Um, can't can't actually communicate. They mm. can't talk. They can't actually um, 
walk on their own. They need an a assistant for 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 life, really. Mm. And then you get people who you see on the street walking, and you may not even know that they have CP, have a disability. Mm. And so it's just a wide range of different things. And there's actually stuff kind of inside cerebral palsy that people don't don't even know about. Mm. One in two people actually have pain with, wow. with cerebral palsy. One in, I think, four, uh, I may have this one, but quite, yeah. yeah, one in four people have epilepsy with mm. cerebral palsy. So there's all these small things that contribute. And what what I think is cool, what I and what I kind of tell to others is, it's so different and I've never met someone like me mm. it, with the exact same cerebral palsy as me. And like, yeah, yeah. I guess where mine is visible is in my speech. Yeah. I guess that's like the visible sign to, to know that, yeah, I have cerebral palsy. But if I'm walking around, if I'm doing anything, you actually couldn't tell, mm. couldn't tell that I have it. And on the snowboard as well, like yeah. it, it's hard. It's hard with any, any disability because I'll get into it. Like I've people with mostly prosthetic legs and they have pants over their prosthetic legs. So you can't actually tell. And yeah. so I think people just need to be aware that, that others have so many differences in life yeah. and you've got to be, I guess, very appreciative of what you have, but also respect others. And empathetic towards people's situation. I think that starts with awareness. And I think this podcast is going to do a lot for people just to build this awareness at cerebral palsy. Because as far as I knew before really hearing your story and listening to Dylan's podcast, I thought cerebral palsy was that um, disability, like you kind of explain where people can't walk and yeah, it's very visible and they can't speak. Yeah. So it's cool to know there is this spectrum and yeah. to have an understanding of that. This is a random question, but this yeah. is something I'm curious of that you might be able to answer. If someone's got cerebral palsy and they're like, can't speak and they're mm. like very severe, is their thought pattern and their thinking still this? I don't know how you could even know. Maybe you surely there's a way to know. Is the brain still functioning at the same, like they can hear and stuff, but they just can't communicate back? Yep. So cerebral palsy. Um they they can be intellectual disabilities yeah. as well, but they also cannot be. Mm. Like not everyone with CP has an intellectual disability. Yeah. So you may you may see someone in a wheelchair having severe cerebral palsy with spastic movements and like yeah, yeah. arms and legs kind of always moving and having twitches and stuff and in a wheelchair, but their intellectual is the same as any other person, they're probably smarter mm, than most people in society. And, but, mm. and what's really cool, I think people with cerebral palsy actually know so much more about their own body mm. than any than any other able-bodied person because they actually take the time to to learn as mm. well. Yeah, that's, that fascinates me because I think that's a big one for people, the way they treat people. Because the first thing you see, and I'm you know, I mean, guilty of this as well. Yeah. As somebody with a disability, you kind of like try and baby yeah. and treat them differently. Yeah. And as someone with a disability, obviously that's going to come because that's just culturally mm-hmm. how unfortunately we're all raised around yeah. disabilities. Yeah. But I think it is starting to change. So I think just hearing that is a way that people might now when they see someone with cerebral well, palsy, you know, which they should anyway, 
but be more inclined to go and try and have a, you know what I mean? A conversation yeah. and be like, yeah, sure. You might have to take your time a bit more, Yeah, but the, per- you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're still being no, able to appreciate. I think appreciate. The, the awareness around disability in general is getting t- to a way better level. Mm. And I, I also think on the other direction of it is actually parents with mm. children with disabilities. They need to know that, I, I always say that people aren't defined by their disability. And when I was young, the greatest thing my parents did was not, I guess, sugarcoat me with my disability. They didn't wrap me in cotton wool. They let me explore life, explore doing everything that I wanted to and just try and keep up with my sisters. Yeah. And so I think that's what drove me to be... Yeah, do not, not, when I grew up, I didn't think I had a disability. Mm. There was nothing, there was nothing to say that I'm different than my friend over here. I was doing everything that they were doing. I was doing everything that my sister was doing. I didn't look any different. So why, why is there a difference? And I think with it, it's different with people with visible disabilities, but they still think the exact same way. And mm. I think the culture around that is just because they look different doesn't mean you have to act in a different way mm. towards them as well. And I think that's also a message to the parents of you should just let that kid explore life as much as he wants to because when he gets older, he will think, he, he will know that, okay, I'm not defined by the disability. I can do anything that I want to do. And for me, that really drove me to be where I am today as a Paralympic snowboarder. Yeah, man. It's so beautiful the way you describe that. And I think just from this first little part of the podcast, so people will be educated a little bit. And that's what I want this podcast to be about. A place to, for one, tell your story, which we're going to get into right now. But for two, be educated around topics that they might not have been educated yeah. around. And I know like I've learned something already from this conversation, but I know my curiosity has led me to learning a bit more about disabilities. Yeah. And hopefully that little conversation there might spark some people to go and listen to listenable and have a listen to how different people with dis- different disabilities think, act and feel and yeah. how we should treat them, which is normal. Yeah. Let's get into your story. Yeah, you talked yeah, about okay. your, you talked about your childhood and getting treated quite normally. Yeah. Let's go into your high school year because I want to get up to your Olympics and stuff. Yeah. But let, let's talk about high school. What was that like for you? Was it bullying? Were you treated normally? How was that experience for you? No, school was great for me. Um, I I went to shore um in Sydney and I I went there from kindergarten to year twelve, so I don't know any differently and. What, what I think was cool about me, I, I'm, I've always been quite a confident person. And so I, I didn't let bully, bullying happen to me. And I think what, for, going back to people with disabilities, I think what's so cool is they know how to adapt. Mm. So I could adapt to every situation possible where I, if someone, uh, I don't know, if someone wanted to bully me, I found a strategy to, to overcome that. And so I'll give you a story back in the prep school days where I, my dad loved to tell this, where if people were, if my schoolmates were running around in a circle around the, the, the yard or at recess or something, I was like, why do I need to run around in a circle? I could just, go in a straight line from that point to that point and meet the friends here. 
And so, yeah, I, I was was one step ahead of everyone else. And so, yeah, it, it was just, it, it was funny. And, um, yeah, and then I guess going into the high school days, I was with the same friends that I had and I built this up, this, yeah, relationship with a lot of people and a lot of teachers where I think I was just a likeable person and so no one had the urge to bully, I mm. guess. And so um, I I guess back to to bring it back to the snowboarding days mm. and um, my my family loved going to the snow and we had a house at Mount Hotham and so I learned to ski when I was three years old and then snowboard when I was eight years old wow. because one of my sisters was snowboarding at the time and I just wanted to do everything that she was doing. And so... Yeah, they they were getting better at, at snowboarding and um, they wanted to start training. And so as the youngest kid, I just kind of got forced into it. And I, I, I'll tell this story. And I, so I'm going on the round no, here, not, not school days. You guys um, this is your but, time to tell stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the only reason we actually got started with snowboarding is my sister was doing this inter-schools competition and she was quite a naturally talented snowboarder um, when she first started. And she made a bet with my dad back in the day and she was like, okay, with no training, if I win the national championships at, at the inter-schools, I don't know, she was like in year eight or something, I, I am allowed to go and train at the Pelletier Winter Sports Club um and that next season and that was like yeah yeah there's these awesome snowboarders you will definitely not win two three hours later she came to the bottom that was inside oh yeah I won and so that's basically where our journey from training to become snowboarded and skiers um started and so um yeah (laughs) um so yeah, that next year we were we were training a lot. We were going down to Perishaw with the sports club every weekend mm. and back and forth. And that's really how a, a family from Manly Beach in the Northern Beaches yeah. became a snow family. Um, and we just we just absolutely loved it. And so um, yeah, I guess back to bring it back to the school days, it was always complicated to be juggle the snow to juggle the snow and the school as well and i spent a lot of year or a lot of days out of school and sure being a gps school and um not they they're very involved in very kind of formal english sports so rugby soccer cricket basketball that was kind of the it sports and so to be a young snowboarder wanting to get better Mm. um it didn't matter if I had cerebral palsy or not, that, that was irrelevant. Yeah. I just wanted to, to build my school snowboarding. It was that, yeah, always not a fight with the school, but always talking to them to see how much time I could get off mm. to actually pursue my snowboarding. Um, and so when I, that, that fight or that, that talk, that discussion kind of left as I joined the Paralympic team when I, when I was, 12 13 years yeah, old yeah wow because that was a question i wanted to yeah. ask when you were quite young competing and stuff i'm there's obviously not paralympic divisions yeah. for 
youth, I can imagine, with snowboarding and border cross, probably any snow sports. Yeah. Huh? When did you first start competing in a categorized Paralympic sport? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up snowboarding not knowing what the Paralympics were. I had no idea about it. I, it was just not in my mind. I was, I was training. I was working with able-bodied kids, and I was just one of the guys yeah. wanting to get better. I was like a ten, eleven year old snowboarder, a friend, um, just enjoying the snow and enjoying meeting new people as well in that snowboard community. Yeah. And I, I don't think a lot of people actually knew that I have cerebral palsy, and it was actually. A couple of years into training, when I was around 12 years old, um, uh, I think 11 or 12, um, the head coach of the Pebble Winter Sports Club m- met or knew the head coach of the Paralympic team at the time. And he kind of connected us together. And Paralympic snowboarding was debuting at the 2014 Paralympic Games. And so he kind of put us in touch together and I rode with the Paralympic coach for one or two days that season and that in that next season he introduced me to the team. Wow. And that was my first introduction to the Paralympic team at the time. And it was my first time seeing people with different disabilities mm. on snow as well. But I think... I think now it's it's really, I guess, well well changed. Where I hope that people are seeing Paralympic snowboarding for what it is, mm. and not having to be introduced to it at a later later stage. Yeah. You can kind of go into it more naturally. And so, I I I kind of trained with him and was under his wing a bit for a couple of Australian seasons till yeah. I was. 13 years old and then he gave me the opportunity to go overseas and start competing to try and qualify to the 2014 Paralympic Games um, in that season. And I, I was a young 13-year-old. All I wanted to do was take time off school. Mm. <laughs> I, I got to miss, like, the whole of Term 1. And so that, that was a great, great course for me and... Um, the the whole Paralympic thing didn't really have the scope in my head. I didn't know how big it was. Well, and it was the first time you said para border cross was in. Yeah, yeah, debut, debut yeah, of the cool. games, and so, so yeah, like you said, you feel like that you wish there was more awareness, but it sounds like it was the first time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It like was, it was, the it was the first time, and I guess the the Paralympic coach was really looking for a team and yeah. finding different people to mm. to eventually go to the games. But if you when when I did go overseas, it was amazing to see the community of Paralympic snowboarders, yeah. and it was like, wow, I really love this. I want to be involved in this yeah. for. For the rest of my life, really, cool. and and yeah, that's where I, where I am today. Back, <laughs> that's right. Let's go back yeah, to school yeah, now. Yeah. What was it yeah. like being a thirteen-year-old representing Australia in the Paralympics? E- oh, a fourteen. Fourteen. So, so, so you're in year eight at school. You're nine. I, I was going from year eight to year nine. Crazy. And so, yeah, I guess back back in those days, schoolwork wasn't too important, and um, it. They school did let me have have that time off, which yeah. was amazing. Um, and so yeah, I I just got to train and travel and compete as a thirteen 
then um, turn 14 years old and then um yeah was able to actually do quite well in competition at that young age um and so um i i i actually got a wild card to to go to those 2014 games just because i was too young to compete and so the ipc international paralympic committee gave me a wild card to compete because they were like, wow, this guy is the future of our sport. What, so you're too young to compete at the World Games? Yeah, I was but too young. You were old I was too to compete at the Olympics. So no, gave... no, I was too young to compete at the Paralympics. Uh huh. And so, yeah, and so I I competed like on two at normal World Cups, yeah, yeah, yeah. but wasn't actually able to go to the Paralympics. So it was only about a month before the games where I where I got. Yeah, got a letter saying you got a wild card to go to these games. You, because you, you're the future of the sport. Wow. We we will allow you to like we will allow a discrepancy to the rules to wow. let you compete at those games. Were you the youngest at the games? <laughs> well, I'm sure you're uh, probably I'm, youngest Aussie. Or I I I I I don't love talking about my accolades, but I am still the youngest ever. Winter Paralympian in the world. Wow, that's cool, man! Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that how's that feel? Obviously, you don't like talking about accolades, yeah. but let's talk. Let's try and reflect a bit back on as a fourteen-year-old what that meant to you, or were you quite oblivious to it because you were like just a fourteen-year-old going to compete? Yeah, I, I think I was definitely oblivious, and I just I was this fourteen-year-old at the world's biggest event. Wow, you're like. I think the Paralympics are the third biggest sporting event in the world. Mm. And so I, I guess I was like a kid in the candy store out. So just running around doing absolutely everything I could, meeting new people and meeting people with dif- different disabilities as well. That was so cool because I came from a power snowboard community, which was still quite small because it was our mm. debut games, to meeting so many different athletes, skiers, cross country, skaters, bi- skaters, biathlon, like yeah, um, cool. ice hockey and stuff. And so it kind of opened my eyes to the world of disability as well. Did you feel uh, like you belonged a bit more once you're in the disability community or did you feel like it sounds like your upbringing and your involvement in sport from a young age, you were, you felt looked like you belonged already, but yeah. once you got to that Paralympic stage, did you feel like you belonged in that community more? Yeah, definitely. It, it was definitely that feeling of, wow, these are the people that inspire me. Mm. So these are the people that I want to be with and be around because what, what I think is so great about Paralympic athletes, they all have an amazing story. Absolutely. And it's like, wow, you can gain so much out of them being ambitious enough to, and determined to to overcome so many obstacles where what 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 I what I think and what I want to get more into as well is Paralympic athletes aren't inspiring for getting out of bed. Mm. They live with their disability every day. So yeah. they're not inspiring for doing day to day things. What's inspiring about Paralympic athletes is them achieving worldwide success and being the world's best athletes and pushing past anything that comes in their mm. way. And so to be in a room, to be at an event with all these people at such a young age 
was really amazing to me. Mm. It, in, it inspired me to keep on going. Um, but then moving on to the competition, because I was so young, I put no pressure on myself as well. Mm. And so I think a lot of athletes, a lot of people with the Paralympics are the highest order of competition. Yeah. You, you work your way up, but I was just happy, so excited to be there that I actually outperformed myself that my my number one goal was to get a top 10 result and I got 10th. Wow. And so out of 33 grown men and grown athletes and so, yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Um, But then, yeah, coming back to school, it was funny because I became one of these kind of like celebrities, small celebrities at school and like everyone wanted to meet me and know mm. me. I had... People from year 12 when I was in year 9, like, oh, who, like, who are you? Or they, yeah. they knew who I was, but yeah. they just wanted to, to know a lot more about me. And so, yeah, from, from that moment on, I was always kind of, uh, I guess, a, not, not, I was always kind of popular kid. Yeah. I was likable, but I, I, I kind of rose to the fame, yeah, fame yeah, at yeah. the school, which, which was really awesome um, for me. And, for for a kid with a disability as well to be seen seen at that realm. Yeah, and I think it would have inspired so many young kids to chase their dreams as well. But then also, I think you would have inspired your whole school at the time how to yeah. treat people with a disability yeah. like normal. You know what I mean? And be like, hey, these people are exactly. superheroes at times. Um, let's talk about the end of school. What the goal yeah. was finishing school, where your mindset was with going into a career with a disability yeah. and stuff like that. Because I think that's a part of the story that is interesting for me and I think a lot of other people will be because not everyone's going to be a Paralympic athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the normality and then we'll go into the the last Olympics. Um, So, yeah, what was it like finishing school for you? What are the career goals and what are the career paths for somebody with a disability like yours? Yeah, totally. So I – school school was always important to me. I wanted to keep up my grades and – but – I was never deducted from the school. I'm, I'm well, not, you weren't there. Yeah, half yeah, the yeah, time. yeah, exactly. And I think if I put more effort in, I could have done a bit better, but this, it, it doesn't really matter. And all I was doing is passing, passing my, passing everything that I needed to. And especially with the snowboarding, I created a system to know how to, how to work out balance. And mm. balance is a really big part of, what I think is important as the athlete because mm. it just tells you what to what to focus on at the time. And so my my school um housemaster at the time was really good and he created a system later on when school became more important in year eleven and twelve to, to for me to be able to complete um work and complete uh, everything uh, online mm. and over overseas and when i when i was competing as well so i i tried i tried my absolute best in school and yeah and for me what what i wanted to do was to just get things done i love getting things done and not having to worry about them mm. after so that was also like my approach to the hsc i actually got asked if i wanted to complete it over two years but I was like, you know what? No, like yeah. I just want to get this done and move on. Yeah. And something something that was really interesting is, I had a fight with the board of studies in um, 
in school. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot what they call it. Board of now. Education. Yeah, Board of Education because um, with, with cerebral palsy, with my disability, I always do my exams on a laptop. Because I, with with a pen and paper, my hand actually deteriorated, and yeah. my thumb like would get these really red marks and red bruises. But on a laptop, because my left hand is affected, I can only type with one hand. Uh-huh. And so school from year seven gave me extra time. Uh-huh. So I got twenty. I think I got twenty minutes extra time to do my every hour to do yeah. my exams and to complete it. And that was all good throughout school. Then when it came to the HSC, we sent you have to send in like exemptions and yeah, yeah. applications to, to get to get exemptions. Yeah. And the Board of Studies, the Board of Education were like, okay, we will give him a laptop, but he's not allowed the extra time. And it was like Wow, wow, this is, I was quite taken back and my school was so supportive. They fought to the very, very, very mm. last minute to be able to do this because that's, that's discrimination yeah, in yeah. front of your eyes. Exactly. That's right there. That's like one thing for me that I could physically see that like, wow, that's, discrimination yeah that's not giving you a fair chance exactly i'm actually um yeah it's unfair compared to over the other or the other boys at the school and so we fought to the last minute and they actually didn't give it to me they didn't give to the the best thing that they could deliver was a five minute break per hour but a break isn't extra time to type with one hand wow and so yeah, it was just a we funny. Get double the time. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. If anything, like yeah. let alone twenty minutes an hour. Like, yeah, exactly. Getting... It, it was just a really funny, funny, funny experience. And was what... that one time that you feel like you really had been discriminated again for the with your disability? I look, I don't think so. I I take things in a really positive way. Yeah. I, I look at the strategies to overcome exactly to overcome it. So I was like. Okay, no worries. I'm just gonna yeah. get this done and yeah. prove prove them wrong, really. Yeah. And so I got my HSC results. I actually got early entry into university. Nice. And um, what was big for my parents and um, what my dad always instilled was education is always there and sport will last you to a certain point mm. in life but you always need your education yeah. backing you. So he wanted me to go to university and I, I had an interest as well. So um, it, it moved on from school to then university and trying to find a balance um, to, to do the school, the, the work um, in our university in more mm. of a high, high professional setting. Yeah, yeah. And so for, yeah, I've been at uni now for the last five years and um i i've been balancing again um my sports management degree um with with my career of snowboarding as well well this is like my 10th year on on the snowboard tour i'm i'm still 22 years old but been been snowboarding (laughs) for for a while but been snowboarding on tour competitively for for a really long time yeah it's incredible man that you're keeping up the studies and still have that 
work-life balance yeah. and have that understanding that yes snowboarding and sport won't last forever yeah. forever and i think it's an important one i've kind of felt the same way obviously for me transitioning into the good human factory this podcast finding some other things that i'm passionate about that i can take on to that next yeah. part of my life let's go back into snowboarding yeah. now you mentioned yeah. you've been on this world tour what is the structure of the tour like for paralympic athletes yeah other than the Paralympics, yeah. because obviously the Paralympics are your once every four year big, yeah. um, big competition to chase. Yeah. What's the tour like? Because I have spoken to you about this before, yeah. but I think the listeners will find this quite fascinating. The setup that you do have for the snowboard. Yeah, Paralympic exactly. World so tour. we have, I guess, levels of competition. We have World Cup competitions, which I, I always say are our normal competition. Yeah. World, world just makes them sound. Yeah, pretty big and that's kind of like the world tour in yeah. surfing so at the end of that whoever had the most points and built yeah. up at the end of the season wins the world title cool um then above that we have um world championships which is once every two years okay and then above that is the paralympic games and are these run in parallel to the able-bodied events or are they their separate events no we we have a different organization a okay. different governing body which is the international paralympic committee so um we we do some training with the able-bodied team but all our competitions okay, cool. are, are different at, at the moment then what, what, what I'm pushing for is to actually see Paralympics on world and see our competition go on the back of Able Body. Yeah, it makes sense it for makes, the setup and it everything. It makes so much sense. One other thing I want to talk about before yeah. we get into the Olympics is the classification because this is yeah. something that from speaking to you last time, you're like, I could speak for hours on this. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of Paralympic athletes can speak for hours on the positives and negatives yeah, of yeah, the yeah. classification. Yeah. Do you want to explain to the listeners what classification is? Yeah. Firstly, for Paralympic athletes, yeah. because some people might just switch it on and go like, yeah. "Hey, I'm watching the border cross." Yeah. But there's different levels. There's different- Do you want to explain what they are for your sport, and then what category you come under and why? Because I think that's a really cool story too. Yeah, of course. So classification in Paralympic sports is to make Paralympic sport fair. Yeah. So people with similar disabilities, um compete against each other and every sport is different the way they yeah. classify each athlete and some sports have factored timing which is a percentage of timing um but i'm really happy that power snowboarding does not have that and we have three separate categories which are baloney categories so people with baloney disabilities people with above knee disabilities which is lo one and then upper limb disabilities. And power snowboarding is actually um, really dominated by amputees. So people with missing limbs, um, people who got prosthetic legs, prosthetic arms. Yeah. And I'm basically one of the only, not the only, but one of um, with cerebral palsy in, in Paralympic snowboarding. And so it's funny because I could actually go into all three categories because my whole left side is affected by my disability. Um, but I've chosen to go into the baloney category, of 2 um, because it's the what well, it's the, the most fastest, challenging. The most it's the most challenging category with the most competitors. And back in the day when I was a fourteen year old kid, thirteen year old, um, 
I I always chose to go in that category because I was such a young kid and I wanted to challenge myself to be the best snowboarder mm. in the world. I didn't want to be stopped by a category and I have a passion for snowboarding and that overrules my passion for competition. Yeah. And so I was like, how do I become the best snowboarder I want to be? And that's not being limited by a classification that's being challenging yourself to reach the to the top level yeah so if i went in the other categories i, I i'm not saying i would have but i definitely it would have been easier to be paralympic champion right now when mm. i was 14 years old when i was 18 mm. years old it, i could have been two times well, yeah well, could... two times three times world champion but it took me a lot longer and i actually think i developed way more as a person to become one of the one of the best on tour mm. right now and it just took more years of determination yeah. to actually get to the point where i am today to be fighting yeah. for medals i think i think that's so special when you first told me that i was blown away by that that you yeah. could be competing in all three categories and probably let's call it the most difficult category yeah the one with the lowest disability level yeah. is the one that you chose to compete yeah. in to challenge yourself yeah. and you still had so much success in that. And we're going to talk about your bronze medal in the Paralympics yeah. Yeah. shortly, but I wanted to touch on something quickly and that was something that happened with your coach a couple of years ago. Yeah. So I know that was a big defining point in your story. Do you want to explain your international team, how that works and what happened with your coach? Yeah, of course. So after the 2018 Paralympic Games, my my earlier coach, um, he 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 was always scholar league, and so we got we got the Aussie team was struggling to find a coach at the time, and my coach before worked really closely with the Finnish coach, and the Finnish coach, a guy called Miko Wendelin, he he saw that we we were struggling to find a coach, and so two weeks before that next season started, he was like. Okay, Australia, you can come with us. I had two other Aussie teammates at the time who were now both retired, but he he started this coach an international team. So I started training with a Finnish guy, Marty, and a Canadian guy who also joined the team because he was unhappy with Canada snowboard. And so he we created this international team and it it just worked. We were we were already best friends on tour. And what's really cool is we are all in the same category. Mm. And we were three of the best snowboarders. Was there a pushback from Snow Australia with this? I don't want to talk too much about that. Yeah. It, it, I can imagine there would have been. It, it, it definitely was a struggle and a challenge to actually was the best start, for you to compete. Start, start this team. But I guess... Snow Australia was struggling to find a coach for okay. us. So, they were so then they sort of they helped would, with funding they for would, you. Yeah, to train exactly. With they were desperate to, to okay. get us on the team. So, cool. so they allowed it, but they were actually challenging surrounding. Yeah. And, and like to, 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 the, to, the, to this day, to the Beijing Parliament yeah. Games, there was always a challenge surrounding coaching because in snowboarding, you it's, so, it's so nation based, yeah. it's so country. Mm. Based and so I think that actually made this team so special, just because it was three international riders, 
all coming together, forming this team and pushing each other to that next level behind this amazing coach as well. Yeah. And this coach was, yeah, on this next level. I'll tell the story after the 2018 games. Um, I I hadn't won a medal. I hadn't, I got, I think I've got one World Cup medal. And I really disappointed myself at the 2018 games. I, I fell in the early heat and got knocked out really early. When I was a medal chance, but still working my way up. And it was, yeah, it was this first competition back that next season. And pretty much I started riding with this coach a day before that competition in, <laughs> it was, the comp was actually in Dubai. If wow. it were in all places in that indoor snow center. And we just connected so quickly. It was this weird, amazing connection that brought us together after a day of actually riding together. We we knew each other before, but an athlete and coach mm. is is it it, it takes it, it it's a special bond, but it also takes time to build and mm. it was the quickest I ever bonded with the coach. And so I actually ended up winning that competition in Dubai that next day. And there were three competitions. I won the day after and I won the day after. I got three out of three gold medals without winning one before. Wow. And I knew at that moment like that, that this coach was the right guy for me. Mm. And he just pushed me to achieve so much and he motivated me to 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 be at the top of my game mm. and that's really where I started to to not dominate the sport but get better and mm. start being on the podium start to win in competition it's crazy the effect that certain coaches can have on athletes and it yes. sounds like that's exactly what he had on you like never meddling exactly before to winning three yeah. days in a row yeah. the day after yeah. starting to work with a coach and that, and that season was one of my most successful seasons like like in, in on world cup was there anything specific was it more mindset stuff that he it, changed for you or was it technical stuff I, it was both it was he I think he brought, he drew stuff back. He knew when to say stuff, but he knew when to do it. Mm. And he, it was the first time I was like in a competition setting. And I normally had like coach who chew my ear off. Okay, do this here, do this in turn five. You need to put more of an yeah. edge, less, of, less on, of an mm. edge in turn six. But he was like, okay, you know what to do. Mm. You this is your race. This is what you need to do. You've done all the work before. We trained hard. This is your moment to actually succeed. And mm. one of the things that he always said to me, where it, before every competition, before every one, I guess, we went down, he said, um, oh, 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 yeah, buy smart, be safe, get the start. Because he always knew I had a good start. Yeah. But that just, that those three little mm. sentences, those three yeah. phrases really just, yeah, knew, clicked my buttons and knew, okay, this is time mm. to, 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 to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, we had a really good relationship and it just kind of went from there. Yeah. And then, um, that, so, we had one season with him and then going on to the next season and 
we were really forming as a team and getting, getting better momentum. and getting some momentum and really excited for the big goal which was the Beijing Paralympic Games. And we were in a training camp in Puha in fin- in in Finland. And this is before the 2018 games. This is no, this is so, just after. Okay, so the Beijing were the recent games. The Beijing we it was in the yeah, lead Beijing up to. So it was yep. two or three years yep, out. Yep. And so it was the season so it was the second season after the 2018 yeah. games. And we were at this um, yeah, com- uh, training camp before a competition in Finland. And we were yeah, having a great, it, one of the best training facilities and training centers. And he brought Miko, um, our coach, actually brought on an assistant coach because our team was getting a bit bigger and he just needed an assistant mm. guy to help him yeah. out. And he, 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 he was definitely a go-getter. He loved to do stuff. He never sat down. He was always helping. He was always snowboarding. Mm. The passion that man had for snowboarding was something else. Like yeah. I've never seen someone love what he does so much. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, so we were at this training camp and um, we ha- we were having a really good time, really good progression session all week, and um, it was just a normal day um, where we we were about to go out, and I went out to to training, and Miko wasn't there, and I was like, oh, oh, this is a bit weird. He he may just be tired. Like, yeah. He 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 never does this, but he may just need a day off, and. We had dinner the night before, and he he was fine. He 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 was um yeah happy, and it was one of our mates' birthdays, and yep he was like okay I'll see you tomorrow, and then um yeah just got back and I I said to my my teammate Bubs oh have you seen Miko today and he's like oh no I haven't but um Pa this assistant coach said oh yeah yeah just like everything everything's okay. And then I went down to to the wax area where we were waxing our boards, and um, we were kind of we I was like just talking to to my assistant coach. Oh, what wax are you putting on? Because I'm curious about what goes on yeah. the boards. And I just ordered some new snowboards, and he was like, "Oh, can you go check the check on them?" And I go, "Oh." Okay, so opened the door where he was staying together and, yep, got the boards and went back and he's like, oh, did you hear Miko in there? And I'm like, no, 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 I haven't. Um, And then, um, yeah, we we went on, went the day went by normal. And then that afternoon, that night, um, we, Pa was like, "Um, okay, you need to... um, he sent us a text saying, can you come up to um, this higher room? I've got something to say to you. And me and Bubs were just having dinner and um, we, we didn't think anything of it. And um, he, so we went up to that room and there were a lot of kind of staff of the hotel there and different people that I'd never seen before. And he sat us down and he goes, um, I'm really sorry to say, guys, but Miko has died. Wow. Miko has passed away. And it, it, I didn't know what to feel. I, I really, 
everything came rushing out and I, I, me, Bub, and we were just all sitting down and they were like, oh, do you want to speak to like a yeah. psychologist mm. or something? And we were like, no, can everyone just leave? We just want to be together. And like, I, I, I literally thought it was a joke. I, I thought Mika would walk in and go, haha, got you guys. Mm. But, um, yeah, so apparently he, he just had a heart attack and, um, died, died instantly. And so it, what the night before? The, no, the day of. So, oh, so he wasn't feeling well, and he, he was, stayed home. Yeah, he he apparently wasn't feeling well and stayed home. And I, I think, yeah. So yeah. Uh, he he was actually. So when I went to get the boards, mm. he was actually in the bathroom, unconscious. And so, yeah, it crazy. We went through a really hard time, and yeah. but what was important is we actually had a World Cup five days later. Mm. And so we were like, just take it day by day. We would work up to if we want to do, if we want to get back on snow, if we want to snowboard or not. So the next day we had this amazing memorial for, for Miko where everyone, it was a training, it was a training kind of centre. So a lot of able-bodied athletes, a lot yeah. of people up there. And we just had this moment where everyone went up the chairlift. We got in a massive circle and had this memorial for Miko. And um, my coach, um, Pa, the assistant coach, said this. I, I don't even know what he said, man, but he said this amazing speech about Miko. And, yeah, we shared this moment, just a hug hug up there. And um, it, it was a really... Really, it was an emotional, mm. it was an emotional time, but it was a great, great moment. And everyone had that appreciation of, of Miko and what he was, who he was. Yeah, and man. just a, just an amazing human who, um, I guess he was actually a world-class snowboarder mm. back in his day as well. And what was also very sad is Marty, my Finnish teammate, who actually worked with Miko, prior like he worked with Miko all of his yeah. career he was at a concert in Helsinki at the time and apparently he was just bawling his eyes out at the concert when when someone rang him mm. and he came up the, the day after and it was like oh it was a great moment it was not a great moment but to be as a team cool and to together. support each other was the the exact thing that I needed and the exact thing that team needed and so we actually worked up the strength to actually compete at that World Cup yeah five days later after he passed away yeah. there there were definitely a couple of beers had um just pretty much every yeah. night to 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 um just go on and talk mm. about Mika and talk about yeah. all the positive thing that he to did mourn. Yeah. to mourn and so we we got we got worked up and we were like okay we we are strong enough to compete because that's what Miko would want us to yeah. do. Miko would not want us to mourn and sit down and it was that feeling of okay you're riding for yourself you 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 want to do it for yourself but there's a bigger picture as mm. well there's 
you, you're riding in the legacy of, of a late coach, a, a late mm. teammate, as a late friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, in that race, I it kind of like turned on, okay, okay, I need to switch and get my head headspace right mm. and keep on going. And so um, I actually felt one of the best that I've ever felt riding. Mm. And so um, I came away and... In I, I got to the big final and I looked up and what what I haven't said is sorry. Uh we we called it to the team unicorn. Yeah. I was gonna and touch on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that name was given to that we all came up with that name. It was actually a bit of a joke at the start. We were going around and we were coming up with names and one was like, Okay, what about team unicorn? We all like mythical beasts from like different mm. Yeah. different areas and um why don't we call it and then one of our teammates hashtag team unicorn and it kind of just stuck mm. and so from there on we, we were named team unicorn um but in that big final i saw just a just a little horn and i'm like you know what you're 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 with us miko mm. and so yeah had that race and i, I was sitting in third and two people in first and second crashed over a jump and I I rose and um finished first and I was like wow well, Miko actually gave me a sign wow. of yeah okay this is this is for you man and so it yeah and um <laughs> we had we had a world cup the next day as well and I actually um was able to win win that as well and that was more I I thought the first day was like, okay, this one's for Miko. And the second day, it's like, I'm just going to ride. I, I got one gold medal. I don't care how mm. I do today. But to, to actually come away with that win as well. So, yeah. like, okay, I do actually have strength to, to keep on going and yeah. the passion to, to, to compete. Yeah. Well. Far out, man. It's, it's, thank you for sharing that story. It's so powerful. I yeah. Think, yeah, it's so special, the relationship you obviously had with that coach. and Yeah. I'm sure he's so proud of you and what you've achieved now. I'm going to fast forward a bit yeah. because we are yeah, starting yeah, yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I can talk to you. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I can keep on going, but yeah. Oh, yeah for we, sure. we will get you back on. Yeah. We'll continue to share your story because yeah, there's so sure. many things we're going to talk about. But the one last kind of statement yeah. I want to talk to you about is the most recent Olympics. Yeah. You walked away with the bronze medal. Pretty Only Australian to walk away with a medal at the yeah. most recent Winter Paralympics. Yeah. Talk me through the event. China. China. Yeah, China, yeah, China yeah. Beijing. Yeah. Um, I would just say it was, I think everyone just felt lucky to be there. Yeah. There was this humbling feeling of we had COVID, we have all the challenges around us, but we're fortunate to actually walk off the plane in China and have the Paralympics happening. So there was this special kind of aura in the air that everyone, yeah, just felt lucky, lucky to be there. Mm. And... Um, it, before it was a process and like it was actually a really challenging time just with all the paperwork getting everything sorted with the whole COVID thing it was like wow this is a game that I'm actually not I, I can say happily I wasn't excited about going because mm. it was such a workup and it, it, it was just like to actually get there it, it was a relief it was mm. like okay everything is good now and we can just focus on 
of what we need to do. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm with the same team, the Team Unicorn. And so we, over the past two or three years since Miko has passed away, we um, have just become this kind of very loyal system that just knows how to compete at every stage mm. possible. And this season... Um, I've had a really good season. I actually stood on every World Cup podium. Wow. Um, most of them being gold, um, gold medals, which was crazy. So I was, uh, I was quite confident coming into these games. And um, the course was amazing. The course was really good. And I, I have a big passion in promoting Tower Olympic snowboarding. And so I thought it was a great course to actually showcase our sport and China to do an amazing job on our venue to, to really push our sport to that next level and mm. have, have it a spectator-friendly sport. And so it, it made me motivated to keep on, keep on going and actually want to, want to succeed. Um, and then... We got to training days and I didn't actually have a perfect, perfect one. And I, I was, I, I was feeling not worried, but I was a bit annoyed with myself because I didn't nail the course. And the day I actually nailed the course was the day of the race. We have mm. around a two hour or an hour training session. And I was like, wow, I'm on one today. This is awesome. Like I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for competition, but. I think as an athlete, and you can probably testify to this as well, is most people think your nerves come when it's closer to the race. It's the night before. It's the night before. <laughs> it's the breakfast. It's the breakfast. The anticipation. It's, it's the anticipation for everything before. And how I feel is that every minute closer, I actually become more confident in mm. myself and Okay, this is time to go. This is time, time to, like, put the switch boots on, on, switch it on, and so my my most nervous race, which people find funny as well, was that quarterfinal because you're expected to do well in the quarterfinal, but you've got these other competitors around you that can be called an underdog, and you're you're kind of the man that if you get out in the first mm. round. You're just a nobody. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay. And so I got through the quarterfinal and then I was like, okay, this is, this is on, this is coming. Um, the, the semifinal came and I was like, yep, this is a challenging heat, but I know I got this. And it, it was really a, a push to actually, I, I took the riskiest move at the games. Um, in in that semi final to overtake and just being second, um, behind my my teammate Marty, and then onto the big final, and that big final I was like, you know what this this is it this is like where I'm meant to be. I was really happy, focused, and like before, it it, it I I didn't know how to feel because I didn't I haven't been in the big final at the Paralympics as well, and so. I thought I would be nervous, but I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to chill out and have some fun with this. And mm. um, I'm going to pause you for yeah. one second just to explain it to the listener who might not know what border cross is. Yeah, border cross yeah, is yeah, racing yeah. down the mountain through a course yeah. with four of you racing because yeah. this will just bring some context yeah. into going into an Olympic final. As everyone knows, there's only three medals in an Olympic yeah. final. Fourth place, 
get you do not want to get fourth place yeah. in a four-man final. So it's pretty cruel. It's for starters that it's a four-man final. Three end up with a medal. One, one doesn't. doesn't. So, yeah, that's just explaining yeah. to the listener that it's a four-man race down the mountain. Down first the, over the line, yeah. bang. There's down like a pretty cool obstacle Yeah, an obstacle course, course racing on so, a snowboard. Yeah, pulled out of the gate and had a pretty good start in that big final. And then what happened was I, I, I was – in the outside gate, so I was actually in fourth, and the Chinese competitor, who hasn't been competing well, he is an absolute nailing start in that big final. And so he got out in front and cut everyone else off. And so, I, I yeah, I was in fourth, but catching up. But then I, my American competitor, I was catching up to him and about to overtake him, but I landed on his snowboard. Mm. And that just, I thought I was going to, over, over a jump, and I thought I was going to take, take myself out and take him mm. up with me. And so I quickly put it on my heel ledge, but that made him go fast, but I lost all my momentum, but I was able to stay on my feet. Yeah. And I was two, three seconds behind, but in my head, I was like, I still got this. I, I still have the mental ability. I know how I ride. I know I can catch up. Mm. And so I was like, okay, it's good that I'm so far behind because I can just face, the, I can ride the race I want to. And so I, like, patience is a key. And I, so I went around and moved all the lines perfectly it was like the perfect second half of that course the whole time and I saw myself catching up catching up and the Chinese competitor went back to third at this stage and I think he he got a bit worried he was like how do I catch up and he didn't see me come from behind but I was like okay I can overtake him in a couple places but I'm going to be as patient as I can because this is what my coach have said to overtake not with the best opportunity. So I waited to the final stretch, the final straight, where I knew I would have a lot more speed and momentum because I was able to draft him. And over that section, I just bolted it ahead of him. And on the final jump, on the like pretty much 50 meters before the, the bottom, I, I overtook him and was able to get third. And so that was probably the Best moment of my life and my career. Yeah, yeah how does that f- feel going into after winning multiple gold medals? Obviously, winning a bronze medal at the Paralympics yeah. is a huge feat. Yeah. Was there a slight bit of disappointment that it wasn't gold or was it kind of like, you know what, this is every four years, this is just an achievement in itself? I think there's two reasons why I it's still my greatest achievement to, to, to date in my career. One being the Paralympics. Um, there's so much pride, pride and, yeah. around it. But how I look at it is every competition is still the same. Mm. That's why I don't put, put myself on too much pressure at the games. But secondly, because I had to work so, so hard, that bronze medal wasn't given to me. I mm. had to earn it. You fought through from that the semi. Back. I yeah, fought through and then everything. The mm. I was never out in front and someone overtook me. I had to fight as much as I could. And I think it, uh, 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 like my, my, my coach was so proud of me because he was like, wow, 
you you did everything that we've talked about. To, you got to, a bronze out of achieve, nothing to yeah. achieve this goal. So that's why I. It, it 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 actually felt like gold when yeah. I when I crossed that line. Yeah, because you went from when you clipped that guy, you would have been like, "Oh no, I'm getting I'm uh, getting the worst position uh, at the Olympics." Uh, I, thought, fourth. I thought fourth. I thought yeah. fourth straight away, and the games the games was such an exciting experience for me as well. Like I would never probably experience China again, and mm. just everything around it was amazing. The people were so good and how they organized it with the structure of the games as well we were actually all in athletes bubble away from away from mm. the people which was disappointing in one sense because you couldn't experience the culture yeah. of china but it was just amazing and we had a lot of fun as an australian team mm. as a team at the games as well so we made That's the so most cool. of the experience and um, I I also got the privilege of being the captain of the Australian Paralympic team. Wow. And then at the end of the Games as well, I got to hold the Australian flag at the closing ceremony. So there was the bronze what made the Games, but there was so much more about mm. everything, everything going on as well that actually lifted the Games to be the best experience for me. Yeah. How special is that getting to know? For one, thanks for sharing that story. And I think it's going to be really cool for everyone to listen to that and understand you were the only Australian to win a medal at the Paralympics. Whereas for 99.999% of Australians, they just saw you on the news and the interviews with the bronze medal and were like, oh, how good is this? He got bronze. Yeah. But to hear the story like that, I think will be very special for people to be like, wow, we were that close to not getting any medal at the Olympics, but people don't see that. So I think that's a special thing to point out but what was it like for you getting to carry the australian flag being the captain of an australian paralympic team at 22 years old like talk me through that how proud are you well so proud um i so back in 2014 i actually got to hold the australian flag at the closing ceremony as a 14 year old kid the australians gave me that honor um and that that experience was just mind-blowing like this the i would just worry that the flag would touch the ground because it was so much bigger than me mm. and i i would just worry that would i drop it would i would i do anything but this time round, it was mm. just like all these experience all this build up to the games to get this one's medal now to carry the flag it just a I guess it was a proud moment for me to to wrap up such an amazing journey mm. to say this four years it has come to a close and to to be a proud Australian as well to be able to I guess go into this stadium and represent not only the Paralympic team but all of Australia that are supporting me along the way along mm. this journey um, and then to be to be named captain of the team was a true privilege and it was testifying to me because I thought it was gotta to go to some somewhat more experienced athletes on the team. We had a guy gone to his fourth games, Mick Mick he's a very experienced skier, a very great skier, a great leader as well. Um but for for him to to pass on the baton to me, um 
was an absolute privilege and I, I didn't take that responsibility lightly because I knew it, it was my job to motivate the team and mm. to make sure they they all are comfortable in competing but also representing Australia as well. But I guess the reason why the Australian team picked me, they saw my, I guess, love for the Australian Paralympic team and meaning behind my passion for snowboarding mm. as well. And I think I I have this true love for every Paralympic athlete. And no matter if you're summer or winter, um, the, the what we call the mob of athletes is so inspiring. And I, I feel so lucky to be a part of it that if I can help more people, inspire more mm. people to get involved, that's my greatest yeah. accomplishment. And so to be a Paralympic captain at this young age and hopefully lead the team for a lot a lot more years because i'm not done yeah, in my yeah. career um yeah is is a true true blessing man true blessing it gives me goosebumps and like i feel privileged just to sit here <laughs> with you and the way that you speak of this inclusion and trying to lead and the privilege that comes with well not the privilege but the the how do you how do i want to word this yeah you can see that what it means to you yeah and I think that's really special that it comes with quite a lot of commitment, but it also like winning that bronze medal would have been a huge, even more pressure being the yeah. captain. Cause you want to lead from the front. You want to exactly. inspire your team. So for the only athlete in the country to win a medal, to yeah. be the captain, like that's unbelievable. And, yeah. and I love that you touched on the idea of Paralympics as a whole and not yeah. summer and winter. You were recently crowned Australian Paralympic athlete of the year. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Obviously snowboard. I mean, the snow, Winter Olympics, yeah. a Winter Paralympics, is a much smaller um, event than the par- the, yeah, yeah. the Summer Paralympics. Everything. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. You watch summer compared yeah. to winter, much smaller. What does it mean being a winter athlete to win the Paralympic Athlete of the Year? Yeah, it's, it, it is truly amazing. Um, it's, I, I feel like... I still get goosebumps and like starts up meeting some of my favorite Paralympic athletes in the summer. So like Kurt Fernley, mm. one Louisa Barge, the Deal. other like Dill as well. Dill like like when I even though I'm friends with Dill now, every time I see him, I kind of fangirl over him. Me too. <laughs> and I go, oh my god, like this is amazing. And so for me to be chosen in that kind of category of athletes is like. It, I don't know, it's humbling. It's humbling mm. for me. And like, or as I said at the start of this podcast, like all these accolades for me, yes, they are truly amazing for me. And I I, I take a true pride in, in winning these. And I'm honored to to be given all, all these roles and accolades in my career. But I think the one thing you need to do is stay humble. Mm. You need to, your ego can't get too big because for me, like, as I see, I'm just a guy, I'm just a person who loves snowboarding. Mm. And all these competitions, all these achievements come second. I just want to be the best snowboarder I can be. And if I can inspire others to have the same passion in something else, Using my platform of get, I think the accolades come, and it raises my platform to help me inspire the mm. next generation to to the people with disabilities who don't have a voice, yeah, who don't have 
a Paralympic athlete, um, sim- like recognition behind them mm. who have who have nothing as well. And so, yeah, I'm very grateful for all, for for winning winning this um, Paralympic athlete of the year um, against so many amazing athletes. But it is a true true blessing. Blessing mm. just to be a part of the whole whole thing as well. Yeah, it's so beautiful the way you talk about it. I'm so honored and humbled yeah. to be able to have this conversation with yeah. you to give you a platform to share with more people your yeah. story, inspire so many, but then also talk about a bit more about your story that people might not have known. Like I'm sure you've spoken a lot about the Olympics, yeah. but getting to tell the story of your coach, I think, will it just normalizes your life. It makes yeah. people realize, hey, it's not this like, hey, he's just won all these world yeah. titles, like. You've had so many adversities to deal with, obviously, yeah. that come with having a disability from yeah. a young age, but then the stuff with your coach to having to juggle being a, an Olympian at 14. Yeah. Like, there's all these things that people probably didn't know about your story, which hopefully today yeah. really educated. And the one of the most important things I think we've spoken about today was what we talked about at the start, and that was identifying a bit more about cerebral palsy yeah. and educating people because I think – as much as, like you said, your sport and your accolades are so great, yeah, but it's so much more than that. Like, and I'm sure you know, like your achievements in sport, and I feel the same with my sport. Feel somewhat selfish, yeah. But what you do with that platform yeah. is the important thing, and you're doing such great things. And the way you speak about it, and the way that you hold yourself, is incredible. So yeah. you should be proud. But oh, the two last, you. yeah, of course, man. <laughs> yeah. And man, I'm so excited yeah. for what we can do together with the yeah. good human factory try and give you more of a platform yeah. to share more stuff and then yeah just continue to show the abilities that people with disabilities have and just work out how we can be more inclusive mm. two last questions yeah. first one what's next for you yeah. what's coming up um so i guess after the paralympics there's always it's always a four-year yeah. cycle mm. so there's a lot of new things happening where i guess i'm I'm at, I actually don't know where the next competition will be. Where uh, we, the the one competition I do know is World Championships in um about around February next year, and that's okay. that's the goal in mind. And so right now I just want to pretty much enjoy snowboarding, cool. Enjoy and find the love back in it because there's been a lot of build up, a lot of competitions and. Yeah, basically, I just want to spend the Australian winter just having fun, mm. just having fun on my snowboard and and riding with different people. Having uh, I actually just went to Norway, um, and we we had a memorial for for me and my coach, and I tried flipboarding for the first time, and we were hiking up mountains and doing all sorts of fun things and. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I think I got a new passion for splitboarding, and so I guess I I do want to do that more in the Australian winter, maybe hike up to Kosciuszko mm. and stuff. Um, but then in November, um, start competing again. Um, wherever wherever the competitions are, mm. wherever they take me. I love that. Know. I'm excited for what's coming up. I'll have to maybe I'll put it out there now. Anyone listening, would you be interested? Obviously, we've got um the Good Human Factory has. Benny as an ambassador, also yeah. Maddie Cox, who I will have on the podcast. He's you know Maddie quite yeah, well. Yeah. He's probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Oh, Maybe he's we'll... so good. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's been a good mate of mine for for 
ever since I saw the snowboarding. It's so cool. <laughs> but I was, was going to say, maybe we'll chat to Threadbone. We'll do like a good human snowboard day and you and Maddie can just froth a bunch of people out yeah. and we'll go through the parks and have a little race around and we'll tee it up. If you're interested in yeah. that, maybe send myself or Ben a message going, saying, hey, I want to get involved. If we can get 10, 15 people, maybe I'll come down the snow and spend a day and we can go rip for the day. Perfect. I love meeting new people on snowboarding. It's what, what it's all about. So yeah. awesome. We'll tee that up. Yeah. All right, last one I'm going to finish <laughs> yeah. with because I know you're busy. We've got yeah, yeah, yeah. We both have a very busy day ahead. We're actually going to catch up again tonight yeah. at um, Alex Chumpy Pullen's um, fundraiser. Yeah. Or- Fundraiser, he's Gala. Gala, annual Gala. Charity Gala, the, yeah. Yeah, Chumpy Pulling Foundation. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for just that. Just amazing as well. Yeah, I mean, we could talk for hours yeah, about Chumpy, yeah. but we don't have the time for that. Yeah. We will get another yeah. episode in in a year and see yeah, what we've yeah, been yeah. up to. But the last question I do finish every episode with, and you've listened to a couple, so yeah. you might be ready for yeah, this yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. is what does being a good human mean to Ben Tuthope? I think um, being a good human is just respecting people's differences. I think... I'll, I'll, I'll explain a bit more, but I think differences in people is what make uniqueness mm. and uniqueness is what make individuals and being individuals is the best quality people have because if we were all the same... Life would be pretty boring. Life would be boring. And so it's the differences that make things interesting in the world. So. If every if everyone can respect differences and appreciate differences. and appreciate appreciate it, it'll make a better world. Man, beautiful answer <laughs> from a beautiful guy. And <laughs> thank you so much for an incredible conversation. Yeah. It's been an honor to. Gosh, sh- I don't even know how long we yeah, were. Yeah, we're around an hour and twenty. So wow, wow. It, it, time flies yeah, when you're having yeah, a good yeah, conversation, yeah. and that's it's something that's so lost. This yeah. hour, just sitting down and having a conversation. Well, it's so, great to be without your phone, without oh, anything. It's, just it's like, like you just get to know someone's wow. story. It's yeah. like what human connections about. Yeah. But I will leave in the show notes yeah. all of your social stuff. Um, I mean, maybe one last little question. Yeah. Any advice for any kids out there that do have a disability for, yeah, to build some hope going into the future? Um, I always say take every opportunity possible and do that with a positive mindset because having a positive mindset leads to so many more doors opening and then the opportunities you take will maybe take you to places that you didn't even know, but it's always leading your step foot forward to achieving your goal Mm, i love that man (laughs) well thanks so much i will leave all your stuff in the show notes if you did enjoy the episode please reach out to myself or ben share it on your instagram tag us both it would be awesome to see lots of stories out there because i know this story's inspired me a lot and i know there's going to be countless people out there listening so if you've made it all the way to the end of the episode big thank you um it's been ben tudhope thanks for joining us oh thank you so much And that's a wrap. You've made it all the way to the end of the episode and I'm so grateful for you for that. If you learned something new in today's episode, make sure you try and implement it into your life. So often we get great information and we become curious about something, but we don't act on it. So I challenge you, act on the new things you learn in this podcast because I guarantee they're going to make your life better. Another thing that'll make your life better is our Good Human Factory Feel Good School and Workplace Workshops. Over the last two years, I've developed a workshop that has been seen by close to 5,000 students and over 1,000 corporates. I wanted to make mental health cool and challenge the way people think about mental health. In the workshop, I deliver an hour of practical, easy-to-implement daily habits that'll improve your life. If you want to learn more about the workshop, please reach out to us. 
in the show notes, you'll see an inquiry form or just send me an email, cooper at thegoodhumanfactory.com and I'll send you an information pack, mention the podcast and I'll give you 10% off as well. Take care of yourself and have a great day. This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.